Welcome back to Don't Call It A Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Dan. Trader Baru Cormorant today, up to chapter 23. Feeling good, feeling good. <laughs> Before we talk about the book, Luke, I'd like to talk about something a little unrelated, but but something sure. that I think our listeners will know very well. And that is Star Wars. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about Obi-Wan. <laughs> all right. Okay, because obviously we know all the great memes about prequel Obi-Wan that he's like Star Wars Jesus. Okay, we know all those. Those are very good. We like Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Very cool. I want to talk about episode four, Obi-Wan. There is like okay, a new you're talking a new hope. A new hope. The very first one that was made. Exactly. I want to talk about that Obi-Wan. Because there's a scene which I to this day hate with Obi-Wan. And it's when okay. he dies. In particular, my beef with Obi-Wan here is he's fighting Darth Vader and he's getting his ass kicked. And Darth Vader's like, dude, you're terrible at this. You're old, you're weak. I'm going to crush you. And Obi-Wan's like, yeah, but if you uh, strike me down, I'm going to become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. So go ahead and try it. And then Darth Vader's like, I bet, and kills him. <laughs> and then and then I'm sitting there like, all right, so what's, what's Obi-Wan going to do now that he's more mm-hmm. powerful than mm-hmm. we could possibly imagine? Right. Like, is he coming back as the White Wizard now? What's right. Going on? <laughs> right. Is he going to transform into a Death Star? Uh. None of that. Do you know what he does, Luke? He's a ghost. He just is a ghost now. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but great advice. Yeah, but like a dude with a radio <laughs> is the same power level. I see. Like Luke is flying through the Meridian Trench on the Death Star, trying to blow it up, and he's like, "My my targeting system's down. I don't know if I can do it." And he hears Obi Wan's voice in his head that's like, "Use the Force, Luke." It's like he has a headset. He has a walkie-talkie headset that Obi-Wan could just be somewhere and say that to him. Mm-hmm. How is that more powerful than I could possibly imagine? Okay, okay. I do think that it was oversold a little bit. He, he, he put himself on a pedestal more than perhaps he should have. I will fully acknowledge that. Because you're right, it's not. It's not more powerful than you could possibly imagine. It's not even powerful, I would say. It's not even <laughs> X powerful. Right, it's less powerful. It's, it's way less, less powerful, powerful than an alive than an alive boy. Um, I do think they use the force a little bit more impactful coming from a ghost boy, but I don't think that I don't think that's enough. You okay, know what but I mean? <laughs> yes, I think that's fair. I think. I think here's what actually happened. And and obviously we're never going to get this because the original script was destroyed when the Death Star exploded. Mm-hmm. But I think in the original script it's written and then Obi-Wan will try and use that Jedi mind trick on Darth Vader where he convinces him of something that's definitely not true. And Obi-Wan was like, if you kill me, I'm going to be more powerful than you could possibly imagine. And he's, you know, waving his hand, trying to get Darth Vader to believe it. And then Darth Vader is like, "Mm, I know your tricks, old man, and just kills him. And Obi-Wan's like, no. (laughs) I love that you're 
you're like creating a new thing just for the term bluff because <laughs> this is just you're saying that he sh- he was trying to bluff him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think he was trying to use his Jedi mind trick to bluff him. Okay. Because earlier in okay. the movie, he does it with the stormtrooper. He's like, these aren't the droids that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I think he might just th- he might just have thought, maybe this will work twice. He was like, he was like, maybe I can do it again here. It worked so well last time. It did, it did work really well. I think that's probably right. Because it does seem like a bluff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he's trying to get him not to kill him. And, like, the only way to do that is to either, like, bribe or bluff. And I don't know if he's really in a position to bribe. Mm, He doesn't really have a lot to offer here. And I think, I actually think this is a really smart play. I'm not criticizing Obi-Wan here. I'm disappointed as a viewer because I wanted to see the, the... payoff of this bluff you you wish that it was foreshadowing and not a bluff exactly exactly i wish that he came back as like a statue of (laughs) yeah a dragon pretty much yeah that would have been the best a dragon with lightsabers for teeth unstoppable for teeth yeah that's kind of what i what i very much wish happened Mm -hmm. oh man because i i will say this I'm not saying he did the wrong thing here because I think the common third strategy a lot of people try is groveling, you know, Mm. we'll try, you got to either bribe bluff, but a lot of people go grovel and you never go grovel. Grovel's not good. It's never going to work out, but so many people try it. Like I could just imagine Obi-Wan being like, dude, just let me go. Please just let me go back to my desert. It's warm there. My family, my family's there. My two daughters. I need to go back to my two daughters in the warm sandy place on the beach. Mm-hmm. And Darth Vader's like, I'm not buying it, Obi. Obi Cruz. <laughs> Which is what he calls him. He calls him that as a fun nickname. He calls him Obi Cruz. <laughs> but he doesn't do that because he's not a coward. You know, he doesn't grovel because okay. it's not an effective okay. strategy. No, I mean, I'm, I'm here with you on this. I think that it's the appropriate position to take. Right. It's just, it was just disappointing, you know. Okay. It was disappointing okay. to me. Okay. Let's talk about the book. Trader Borrow Cormorant. Mm-hmm. Like I said, up to chapter 23. Before we get into this section proper... I want to go back to something that happened in the last section and something that Tord and EQ kind of brought up in a comment on the subreddit. I didn't really consider the fact that when you have paper money in an empire, it's like got to be the same everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So did Baru destroy paper currency in the empire at large so i imagine right okay so it's just inflation right exactly yes i i do wonder if the empire can like cut that off pretty quickly like okay we're not we see that there's like a gazillion dollars over there we're not like taking that to other places well okay but the problem with that is like 
if it looks the same, what what are you going to do? Right? You can't be like those papers from over there uh don't count because they're you can't how can you differentiate them? And so like I it feels like if it's a currency that is just like the same, like if the paper currency is the same everywhere, like she also inflated all the paper currency on her home of Terra Oak. Mhm. Yeah, so I would I would guess we don't we don't have this information, but I would guess there was a good bit of inflation everywhere. Probably just not the same amount, right? Like it gets diluted a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I guess it doesn't like transmit immediately, so it could take mm-hmm. a little bit of time to spread out. Although I will say, merchants are like dumping it into the water. It's so worthless. That's a lot. That's a lot. I feel like if you can just take a trip down the coast and then it's worth like basically the same as it was, you just keep it, right? Yeah. My my only solution to this, Luke, is that they have different paper currencies for everywhere. Ooh. That each place that they're kind of colonizing, they've created its own paper currency. Otherwise, you like risk your whole economic system if you give them a printer. Right, right. Like one person's mistake messes up everything. Exactly. I think I think that's probably fair. Like like we've got the dollar one place, we've got the pound another. Mm-hmm. That whole that whole deal. I think that's smart. It's probably smart. And maybe they have like uh for them like internally they can do exchanges without like a fee right here they can exchange oh you've got some Terran oak dollars so we can convert that to whatever you want here's the amount right one is one right one is worth they're all called the same thing i think but they have like different faces on them (laughs) right right and that's kind of that's kind of what I want to explore with you. What are they putting on this money in these different places? I, okay, so let's say, ooh, do you think that they're trying to like court their the places that they're taking over by putting something that they have, like that's that's a national pride thing for Ardwin, or are they trying to be like, look at the cool things in Falcrest? This is a scorpion. <laughs> you don't know about that, but it's cool. it's cool yeah (laughs) or is Uh, it like you guys have got some sweet divers we're gonna put a diver on your dollar that's cool (laughs) um i think there's two options here i think i think one of them could be that they make them like trading cards because the point of these this paper money is they want to have the paper money be the currency of this local region so they only mm-hmm. buy things. They only, yeah, they only buy things with paper money, right? So they're giving paper money out to the locals. So they want the locals, they want to give some message to the locals here. And so I think one option is a trading card game where you just have like a bunch of different, yeah, maybe you have the best diver of all time and some stats at the bottom. <laughs> like, can hold her breath for 20 minutes that'd be cool i wish everybody had that little fun fact 
little fun it's fact. Like Snapple. <laughs> or if we just converted our paper money to Pokemon cards. If we were just like, we're done with the dollars. We're doing Pokemon cards now. Go wild. Man. I feel like that shoebox in my in my closet from back home would be a lot more valuable. <laughs> I don't know. I hope that they're having fun with it. Right. I guess is all I want to say. They sh- I hope it's not just like, here's a piece of paper with a one on it. Here's one with a 20 on it. And some old guy. <laughs> oh, cool. I hope they're putting Dumbledore on there. Oh, that would be tight, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be very tight. The other option is they're going pure intimidation. Because all this money is in the hands of the people there. And so the other option is that, like, they're creating... They have their finest artists working on... Maybe one of them has, like, Optimus Prime in battle on it. And okay. they're like, in Fallcrest, we've got this cool guy named Optimus. <laughs> And he fights all our wars for us. Okay, yeah. Yeah, make fall Because cra- they don't know, right? Nobody knows. Be like, Optimus is over here fighting the dragons that keep attacking. And he's just crushing them. <laughs> We're going back to dragons. Okay, yeah. We love, we love dragons. And then the the Arduin guys are like, oh, yeah, like, they're, they can dominate some dragons. I'm not going to fight that. They've got Optimus on their side? Oh, no way. I'm not taking them on. I think that's the other option. That's the other option for the money is they're going intimidation factor. They're doing, they're doing a bluff. They're pulling an Obi-Wan. Yeah. (laughs) Both, both good options. One thing that I, I don't love about the strategies of Fallcrest or the masquerade, similar to something that we've talked about last episode, Mm -hmm. a couple of things when this new guy comes, this new like higher up comes and, tells baru to like start a revolution or i don't really understand what happened there but the 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 young guy that seems to be farier's like colleague yes two things one was the the qualm not the traitor's qualm but whatever qualm that they come up with and the point of it is essentially to say like no matter what a servant of the throne does they're blameless the hand of the throne yeah right right very problematic very problematic we could see that going poorly other thing is he says the goal is control by any means also not great how many how many like things are we putting falcrest's like mottos to be that are just atrocious that are just well you said it last episode that are just nazis like this yeah. is this is like literally the Nuremberg like defense of all the Nazis was like well, I was just following orders like the Führer told me to do it so right yeah they're just oh they're really bad um, I also think it's it's a little bit I don't get why anyone really buys it the whole like hand of the throne kind of thing I because like okay. It's one thing if you're saying, this is true, so I don't have to take responsibility for anything I do. I can just pass the buck to the throne. That's one thing. If you're using it as a way of, like, passing blame, and you don't really, like, believe it, but you're like, oh, this is convenient. I can just say that it's the throne that's making me do it. Mm -hmm. But if you actually believe it, it's like, 
So you don't have any autonomy whatsoever. So you're just like a, you're like a boat or a, or a sword. Like when you make the jump, when you make the jump, there's, is there not something different guys (laughs) between a person and a boat or a sword? (laughs) Okay. I see what you're saying. I think that the point of it, like unsurprisingly is to make it easier for like their servants to commit atrocities. Oh, for sure. Like what we would call it. Um, It does seem like if you were like taking that to heart and are one of the servants, it's like you can either be like, well, this sucks. Or you can be like, I'm a cog in a great machine. (laughs) In a great machine that, that says I need to pour acid on all these people. Yeah. I... I think I think there is a a reasonable like a way that there are, I think there's a reasonable explanation that some of the lower level servants do think that and do believe it and are like, you know, for the glory of the empire, the empire is going to keep us all safe. But when you get to Baru's level, I don't I don't think that any of those people are going to buy Oh yeah, I'm just a cog in a machine. Oh right. Like because he kind of uses this analogy to say to Baru, like, whatever you're doing is fine. Mm-hmm. And this is your justification. Like, even if you bankrupt Parliament or even if you print a bunch of paper money and it looks like you're not helping us, you know, if you actually are, you're totally good. But this explanation of if you actually are, you're totally good is like, you're like a sword. You don't really have any autonomy. We just made you into something that we want. Yeah. I mean, I I, I do think at this level, it it's pretty meaningless. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that this, uh, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, motto is really only for the lower levels. Right. And like at the upper level, it's just like something that you know and are like, like, know that it's kind of manipulative of the of the scrubs at the bottom god dude this empire freaking sucks i hate it so much the worst i think that the worst one is the control by any means yeah it's like that's just unambiguously terrible (laughs) oh it sucks and i just yeah i hate how they're using all these like words and fake mottos to manipulate people it's just so trash just controlled by any means is terrible. It is. It is. You don't want that. Um, but on the other hand, our Ardwin Dukes, surprisingly cool. Did you feel this way? I do feel this way. I, I'm still concerned because we're only getting the perspective that they want to show Baru. Mm-hmm. We're only getting Baru's perspective, I mean. So... They could look very cool, but, you know, Baru keeps forgetting there's other players on the board. Come on, Baru. <laughs> Come on, Baru. Um, yes, I agree with that. I, I'm kind of saying very, they seem much more capable than I was expecting. Mm. Isn't they all seem very, like, smart and everything? Yes. Yes. And very charming. I would agree 100% with you here. I think 
they're much more capable than we originally kind of understood them to be. And they all sound super fun. Yeah. Like Duke's I... uh, Oathsfire and Lixoxu, whatever we're calling uh-huh. him. Great, great chemistry between the two. Right. The banter, the banter between them is very fun. Right. Obviously, uh, our Duchess Voltjag. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. A the, little less fun, but but more more swag, mm, I would say. Much more swag. The Seagroom is just the mm-hmm. life of the party. Right. Yeah, I I think we've got a great cast of characters here. And I would want to be a part of it. You know? know. Even if Baru is eventually planning to to betray them all uh in the end. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> is that dumb? <laughs> I feel like this is a book that that I needed to like read all the way through in a short time frame mm-hmm. because I don't I don't know what her deal is I don't know what she's going for yeah, so I, I I will say I think it's it's sort of obtuse because I don't okay. think as a reader you're necessarily supposed to know but here comes Dan with a prediction. Pretty sure Baru is doing this all to betray them and then turn it back over to Falkrest at the end. Okay, so the guy that comes in early, he he does some kind of hint that's like, sometimes we like to do this strategy. Do you think it was like, let them rebel and then like lose so that we crush their spirit kind of thing? So I think what's going to happen, because Baru is like, trying to figure out the problem of the rebellion and she's like how do i get them how do i figure out who's a part of this rebellion and then she's like ah i've got it and we kind of get a i think we get like a chapter end there and then it starts and she's implementing this new plan and we get kind of swept up in the fact that bar is going to be a part of the revolution and all this stuff but uh, and and we get hints throughout the reading that she's going to they're not going to like the fact that they're joining her. Like when mm-hmm. the Duchess Voltjag has her sword to her throat and Baru's like, whatever choice she makes here, she's going to regret it. Right. I think that's Baru being like, either she kills me and it dies because Falkrest just destroys them or she saves me and I eventually turn on her. Because I think, you know, Baru recognizes that the seat of power is Falkrest and she can't help anybody unless she gets there. Even if she, like, is the queen of Arduin or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. she's stuck there. Like, that's her role if she's queen of Arduin. But I think she has higher ambitions. And so, the again, this is speculation. I haven't read the rest of the book, but I have a feeling like Baru saw the solution to the problem as getting rid of the dukes and duchesses entirely. And we got a little hint recently, like, in the last, like, four chapters where she was like, the people here need a better system of government. And mm. I think she's like envisioning like the reason why Arduin keeps rebelling is because the dukes and duchesses have power. And if they just remove that system entirely, then Falkrest would be able to control the place much more easily. I, f- I think I think that's what Bar is going for. Now, I don't know how this process is going to get rid of all the dukes and duchesses, but I think her her goal her end goal is to get rid of all dukes and duchesses in arduin 
and then hand it over to Falkrest. Okay. I can see that. Which I, like, I kind of get, but also, oh, I don't love it. Yeah, I mean, you can tell that she's, like, losing herself in pursuit of this. I don't know about losing herself, but, like, she's doing the control by any means thing. Right, exactly. I'm willing to throw this entire nation under the bus on the off chance that I can help my home my home nation exactly exactly and i think mm, i think we might have been too hasty in talking about the hand of the throne kind of qualm because maybe like if we think about it just in terms of like literally we've got the emperor as the person that you're responsible for like everything goes to the emperor but if we think about it more in terms of like the throne as like your ambition then like it does kind of work for these people at the top where they're like, everything I want is in service to my ambition. And as long as that's good, I can do whatever because the ends mm. are justifying the means here. And that might be the trap that Baru is kind of falling in right now. Okay. Where Baru's like, ooh, I can make some pretty good changes if I make it to Fallcrest. And so she's yeah. willing to do some terrible things maybe to get that, that kind of gets into like the ends justify the means mm-hmm. right and i i mean maybe this this servant of the throne is blameless thing is kind of the same thing yeah i think maybe for at the like high tier among the people who are at the top i don't think they're literally talking about the throne like i don't think they're literally talking about the emperor but I think mm-hmm. that it might be a convenient metaphor for like ends justifying means. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just a dumb nerd, Luke. <laughs> that's that's my line. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to talk about her little popularity map. <laughs> okay. About her about her polling numbers. Her polling numbers, so she does this poll, and she's, like, painting all of the duchies mm-hmm. the color that they voted for, essentially, yeah. right? In order to determine, like, how much control she can get over the serfs, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. She's looking at popular support. And I just wonder if we need to do a more detailed data analysis than just like pure plurality you know what i mean mm. like what if it's what if it's 51 49 and you're painting it like blue all blue right if you call you for need a, a little revolt, more nuance right you call for a revolt when it's 51 49 you're only going to get maybe 10 percent of your 51 rising up the 49 who didn't didn't vote for you they're not going to just stand by all right. Right. You got to go. I, I will say she does have a few that are painted multiple colors. Mm-hmm. So I think in, in a few of these duchies that she's going through, she notes that there's a lot of green and blue. Like there's both of these colors together. And I want to say she has like a folder of reports. Like she has more detailed analysis about individual cases. Like, she knows Mm. the tax information 
and like so- some history of some of these people. It's just her current data analysis method is losing a good amount of that nuance. I think you might be right. right. I, I, I think so. Because you're also, I mean, unless you've got some staff going through the numbers, doing a little research, you don't know like the, the passion that they're voting mm-hmm. right you know if you if maybe if you give them like you know i don't what is it like 10 bucks and you can divvy it up however they want someone's probably like i don't know baru can have seven but like that doesn't mean that they're gonna rise up with you necessarily they're right just like i don't really care about this <laughs> <laughs> i gotta go milk the goats <laughs> in three minutes my timer is going off. Wait, you added another question to my tax form? Yeah, sure. Borrow. I don't care. Wait, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I I think that could be true. It's also important to note that she is assuming that her instrument is measuring what she hopes it measures, which mm-hmm. is popularity. She's asking, who do you want to have more money? The accountant person? The person who is, like, trained to manage the money are these like hereditary dukes and duchesses who've gained their gained their seat by inheritance and have no like right. real authority or the person that you all hate clearly you're not giving it to them yeah i mean point is like you can use this data a little bit but i wouldn't i wouldn't rest too much on it you know yeah it's it is a lot to to put on this one study that she's done not great statistics here right right don't trust polling also the electoral college sucks (laughs) got him um i want to move on yeah luke how how did you picture this fight going between the duchess voltjog Voltjog. Is that is that it? I feel like that's weird. Voltag, I think. Voltag. Yeah, okay. Vol- the Duchess Volt there's a J in there though. That's what's throwing yeah, me. Yeah, but off. I was thinking maybe it's like a maybe it's like a Y. Oh like Vol- a Volt Voltag. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, between her and the Cattleson, Governor Cattleson. And I'll I'll say what I what I thought first. Okay. In a few of the books we've read, duels between people, the way that they're described sounds really odd to me. Like, it's hard for me to picture it because in my head, when two people fight, like, duel with swords, you have your sword and it's, like, upright in front of you and then you fight back and forth, you, like, clash back and forth and then eventually one of them finds a way to to hit the other one. But in this book, we've got swords over our heads. We're like Mm. walking forward. It's like very, there's a lot of core that we're using to keep our sword here. We've got two hands, one hand's on the blade. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, the stances were strange. Like, I think that the Duke starts off with the, the sword like above his head pointed directly, like horizontally. Yeah, like, ah, that seems weird. And um and the duchess has it on her shoulder. 
Mm-hmm. She's got it over her shoulder, like it's got a like it's got a sack on the end, and she's walking down the lonesome, dusty road. <laughs> and I'm like, how are these people going to fight? Right, right. It's like when you play. This is going to be a deep cut. It's like when you play tennis, mm-hmm. and one person is like over exaggeratedly ready, and looks ridiculous, and the other person is like looking off in the distance. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like I've yeah. got my racket. When I'm when I'm playing tennis, I'm just chilling. Got my right. racket down by my side, waiting for waiting for the serve. Some people over here are like getting down, doing crazy stuff. Right, right. They're stretching. They're doing some active warm ups. They're jumping all around the court. And you're like, ah, I'm just here at the park, man. This is how this is how I'm envisioning the the duel. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think that that is the atmosphere that I'm getting as well. I just... I don't recognize these sword fighting forms from, like, what I've seen of a sword fight ever. And I will say, they feel more accurate. I feel like this is something where, like, the popular conception of sword fighting is so wrong like the movie Mm -hmm. demonstration of what a sword fight is is not close at all it feels like one of those things where it's just like oh yeah it looks good on movies so this is how we fight in movies but in real life they used to fight in this crazy way this super crazy way that you would have never guessed yeah i think that that's true because like i i'm pretty sure i've i've heard people say that like real sword fights take like three seconds max (laughs) (laughs) right they're not like they're not like darth maul qui-gon jinn obi-wan lightsaber duels that go on for not long enough i'll say (laughs) so i think i'm i'm for it yeah i love it i love it it's cool it's weird but i'm into it (laughs) i've got a few notes about the like rebellion chapters Ooh. Number one, mm-hmm. big Red Rising vibes. Oh, huge Red Rising vibes. I know. Like, I know. even the writing style seems very similar. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't really know how to describe it, but it just, it feels very similar. Oh, no, I agree with you. I think it's just got a lot of Red Rising vibes here. Yeah. And then one, one very specific part. So before they go into this, like, coyote mode... <laughs> Yeah. She uh Baru is like at this war council and she's she's explaining the the new strategy. And she's like they'll be like the summer uh cows or whatever and we'll be like wolves. And like if you phrase it that way, everyone's going to agree. Oh yeah. 100%. You know what I mean? I'm not going <laughs> to be the no one way. who's like I don't want to be a wolf. Right. I don't want to be a winter wolf and like super badass. Let's hang out. I think it's I think it's manipulative to use that good of that good of imagery. <laughs> I think I think this is actually why we're getting a lot of Red Rising vibes because so much of Red Rising was like making terrible hardships sound badass. Mm-hmm. It was like, "Hey, we're going to have like a really hard time, but we're wolves, baby." We're going to yeah. come down on these sheep and just munch them up because we're wolves. Everyone's like, ooh, I am going to freeze to death in the winter, but I love it. 
<laughs> yeah, because throughout this whole section, it's like, oh, yeah, this absolutely sucks. So many people are dying. The most scurvy you've ever even heard of. Um, <laughs> but they're wolves, baby. We are wolves. Coyotes, actually. Yeah, they're coyotes. But yeah, I agree. It's super manipulative, but I would still sign up in a heartbeat to be a wolf <laughs> or even a coyote. Sounds fun. And I will say about this trip that, yes, it does sound bad, but it also sounds kind of good. Like, Baru describes what her life has been like on the in this in coyote mode and she's like i'm all oily and i've been eating like venison curry and i smell like cumin and there's like smoke everywhere and i'm like hold on hold on hold on all right so aside from being freezing that all sounds kind of nice baru Mm -hmm. like i'd love to eat curry and smell like cumin and live out in the woods that sounds fun you're selling me on this coyote mode, Baru. Okay. I think that for Baru, this is like a very cool experience that's going to be on all of her personal statements and applications in the future. She's like, this one winter, I got to learn what it was like to be a coyote and it really changed my experience. And her applications from now on are going to be phenomenal. Right. But for like the other people that all have scurvy, <laughs> I don't think it's great. They're not. Talk- I mean, they're probably like hyped. It's probably a lot of big bonding experience, but I don't know if they're going to like be like in their letters home, in their letters home. They're not talking about the fact that they smell like cumin and enjoyed the vegetable curry from last night. In their letters home, they're like, three of my teeth fell out today, and the blood was so much that I choked on it. But I'm a part, I'm a coyote mom, and we are just, we are cold, but we are fierce, and we're going to change the world. Right. Also, and I there's do little smell hints like of this. I don't smell like human. There's little hints of this. Where they're like, oh, unfortunately, there was this one event where people went crazy and murdered an entire village. But we, like, sent the local duke some money and it was fine. <laughs> and, like, on a macro scale, it's probably it probably is fine. But uh, not great for a few people. Not great. Yeah, coyote mode isn't great for most of these people, I think. I am curious, though, how different this is from a normal winter. Mm, right. Because you know we, what I mean? Because, like, a normal winter may also be just as terrible. Yes. Yes. Because Baru notices when she first goes up that everybody should be starving. Like, children die all the time in winter. And, ooh, this is a great point, actually. Right, because it's all about it's all about uh, deviation from the norm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. I'm gonna say it's probably worse, right? Like I don't think they're having a better time right now than a so. We do winter. have excess deaths. Yes, but 
not, I'm going to say not as bad as I originally thought. Because my original thought was like, oh, this is terrible. Why is anybody signing up for this? <laughs> but when you put it that way of like, yeah, they're probably still going to get scurvy. Right. Here's my, here's my theory. I think that there's excess deaths among the like normally healthy population mm. that are in the coyote army. But I think that's mitigated by the fact that they're helping, seemingly helping, the like smaller villages and maybe those places are doing a little bit better than normal Mm -hmm. interesting interesting well i think this would actually kind of this would kind of support the fact that like baru might be trying to win a popular revolt here by Mm -hmm. like yeah maybe this winter is better for like the low level serfs and you know they've got like food that they're constantly getting sure they've got scurvy they get scurvy every year uh and but they get like enough bread and and deer to make it through some people around them even smell like cumin and that's great mm-hmm. Ooh, i think there's a lot of potential here that that's what's happening i think there's a lot of potential here and when you put it that way it's kind of a smart move then to go coyote mode yeah, no, I think it is. Ooh. And you can see it work. Like, it's interesting when they're like, we are going to have to order people to give us food. And they're like, they're going to give you food regardless. Really shows that, oh, people are about it, about it with Baru. Fair hand, man. A fair hand. I will say, I don't love fairer hand. No. I don't think that that's cool enough. It's not cool enough. We need something way cooler for Baru. Mm-hmm. maybe we'll get it someday but for now she's stuck with fairer hand something i want to kind of go back in the story to talk about okay baru is being taken through like the slums of treaty mot before she like tells her secret and joins the rebellion proper and the woman who's taking her through treaty mot tells her that the neighborhoods or well i don't know if she tells her this or if this is just in that section but we learned the neighborhoods where the people from Fallcrest live they pay people to line the streets speaking the language afalone i think is how uh-huh. we're gonna say afalone in order for their kids to like have it around them growing up and so that they they get the language there I think that's very wild, but I want to ask, Luke, how how many people do you think are paying these mummers to rickroll their neighbors who don't mow their grass properly? Ooh. Okay. So uh, let's let's start off with, with the broad logistics of this. Yes. Okay. Right? We've got an HOA. You pay 200 bucks a month. One guy's mowing the lawn. One guy's singing hymns in Athlon. Yes. It's what your it's what your HOA is getting. I'm I do think that there's a board, right? That's like this dude's lawn is lowering our property values. Let's, let's do a little trolling here. Right. And so they pay their their mummer to just sing the most annoying songs outside of his window or at like, 3 a.m. <laughs> right. Or like Based on what I'm assuming that these these communities are like, 
we're paying the mummers in general they're paying the mummers to talk affluent so that the kids like learn right yeah I think that the move is when someone doesn't mow their lawn correctly, you pay the mummers to teach their kids curse words. <laughs> right? They're yes. singing. They're they're out here singing the like contemporary inappropriate music that the old fogey parents don't like. They're singing the explicit version of WAP. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're like, how did that get on the radio? I thought we had a board for this. Yeah. I think that's what's going on. Yeah, that's got to be it. That's That makes sense. Makes perfect sense to me. Moving moving on a little bit. Still, I still want to start before Baru's given up her secret. Okay. This room that they're in, where they're all meeting in Treaty Mott, the olive oil room that's pretty like obviously fire hazard guys come on like you have you use fire to light the place and also destroy it quickly that's a big that's a big danger come on but it's kind of like it's kind of very dark when you think about it because They've set it up to be destroyed so quickly that nothing can be, like, taken out of it. I imagine if you have a lot of people in there, they're not they're not getting out. <laughs> and, like, when, yes. when these places get discovered, it sounds like there's a lot of people. Like, they just follow all the people to these temples and then surround it and then throw acid on everybody. Yeah, but I can't tell if all of those places are covered in olive oil to burn. I don't think they are. I think that it's like this more important place. I see. Maybe like this one has all the sacred texts. Okay, yes. Okay, so maybe it's not as dark as I thought. Because I was just assuming if you walk in here, you're like, yeah, I might have to burn to death today, but I'm going to do it. It does seem risky. Hopefully there's like a a fire plan. They've got an occupancy. You know, like this aisle, this aisle is five feet away from all of the olive oil, and it's a very quick exit. <laughs> or maybe the doors they, are open. Maybe they just have a, a pile of focaccia bread somewhere close by. That's like, well, if you're gonna die, <laughs> you can eat the sacred focaccia. <laughs> All of the, all of the uh, olive oil around here is is not the good stuff. But next to the focaccia bread, that's where we put that that prime time olive oil. That's for you. That's for you. That'd be nice. I think it'd be nice. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm, you could do. I'm sure that's how they explain the fact that they're buying just barrels and barrels of olive oil, seemingly for nothing. We actually have focaccia parties every Thursday. <laughs> it's great. That is, oof. That sounds lovely. Yeah, but if you're the if you're an official, you're like, well, I'm gonna go. <laughs> so now I'm coming to your focaccia party next Thursday. I would love to. Thank you for the invitation. And it's like I didn't. Okay. And then you've got to quickly come up with a focaccia party. <laughs> right. This is a this is a comedy I think we're writing. 
Luke. In the midst of <laughs> this episode. tragedy, we've got a comedy episode here. That's what we're here for. I'm into it. I love that. All right, that turned it all around. Thanks, Luke. <laughs> Lighten it up. Lighten up the room. Just like the fire. <laughs> Something I've been postulating as we've Ooh. been reading this, Luke. Great word. Is that perhaps Farier is faking it. Faking what? His whole deal. So, like, from Bari's perspective, Farier is this is a part of this shadowy organization that like runs things. We haven't seen any evidence of them actually doing anything. Like mm. Baru did the civil service exam. The exam came back, said she should go to Fallcrest. She was gonna be the accountant there. Uh Farye went along for the journey and was like, hmm, maybe I was a part of this. Who can say? And maybe he's just like a merchant. <laughs> maybe he's just art okay. he's just role playing and he's like i, can... I see what you're saying and bar is like reading into it a ton because bar has been raised by this person in this fantasy world that he's constructed where he is a part of a shadowy organization that's actually in control of the government oh i love this actually and then the 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 guy that comes at the beginning of the section same deal. Yeah, exactly. And convinces Baru to to start a revolution. Yeah, Farye's like with like a... no with no like real concrete evidence. Exactly. Like they don't all they have here are words. They have yet to prove anything. And they're saying this to a person who has never seen Fallcrest before. <laughs> Baru's never been there. She has no idea if the emperor even exists, if the parliament is even a real thing. There's even a chance that this guy, I, for, I forget his name, but is like actually against Falkrest, right? I mean, he's convincing her to start a revolution. This is so true. I imagine it's like... What if it's just a big fantasy football league that they're a part of? But instead of football, it's just like people that they find on islands and they're like, hmm, I wonder what, what can we get them to do? How much destruction can I make them cause? And like they're telling Baru that there's others that they've they've recruited. And maybe they have, which if they have, then they actually are very powerful because look at what Baru's doing. <laughs> but it's just Baru. It could be that it, that it's just Baru, and they're like, "Yeah, our other ones, they just they didn't really work out." But Baru's still on board with this thing. Maybe they take turns, seeing like who can influence her the most. So like, there's a few that came and went when she was doing her drinking thing in the bar, but they but they were unsuccessful. You know what I mean? It's a prank show. And they're like, oh, Greg, you idiot. You didn't get her to do anything. <laughs> it's a prank show. It's a horrible, dark prank show where it's under the guise of this, like, we're a shadowy organization. Uh, power right. over everything. Get right. it, Baru. And this dude's this dude's coming back to the betting table like, suck it, you guys. You owe me a hundred bucks. She's starting, <laughs> she she's starting the revolution. <laughs> 
Yeah, and, and at one point, like, somebody's going to take it too far. Somebody's going to take it a little too far, and they're all going to be like, oh, we really should have... We should have stopped this. We should have put the kibosh on this a long time ago. I love that you you don't think that it's gone too far. <laughs> no, it's not there yet. Definitely not. No, I think I'm I'm. That's where I am now. Now that you say that, mm-hmm. I think that that's probably the truth. Yeah, I kind of love that in my head canon right now, and it's not great for Baru. We don't love that for Baru, but it's very fun. It's very fun to ask, what are they going to get her to do next? What shenanigans is she going to get up to next? The last the last thing I want to talk about is another problem with Fallcrest. And this is one we haven't, we've talked a little bit about. And I will say, Baru makes some of the exact same points that we make in our last episode where she's like, yeah, but they do provide roads and sewage and doctors. And so, so Baru's struggling with the same thing we are. And I don't, I don't want to be necessarily giving lessons on how to be a colonizing power, but I want to say that there's a missed opportunity here from Falkrest. So they focused so much on like economic domination that they're ignoring, they're ignoring the like, cultural awe side of things and my example of this is fireworks Mm. fallcrest has fireworks that they use for naval communication which is very cool i'm into that i think it's very useful if you can make enough fireworks for that good on you like sounds like a great system but if you can make enough fireworks for naval communication you could have a fireworks show for your colonized nations right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and no i think this is 100 percent true yeah think of how cool fireworks would be if you had never in your life seen fireworks i'm getting okay i will say you're gonna need a little you're gonna need a little public messaging campaign to be like we're gonna do something cool on thursday you're not gonna die it's cool this this is not going to endanger you it's going to be very fun yes you definitely need that and i think based on your current vibes not many people are going to believe you the first time Mm -hmm. your current vibes are evil and controlling and bad so not many people are going to necessarily believe you the first time so i will grant that the first time is not going to go off super well but you have one every month and a month three good fireworks show tonight huh this is this is like the equivalent on a larger scale of your manager being like i know that we don't pay you very much but we're having a pizza party next week (laughs) okay all right that's fair but you are gonna get those people who when when people coming around being like hey i think we should start a union we could maybe get better pay they're gonna be like uh, I do like the pizza every month, though. I do like the pizza. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think Fallcrest might be missing that key component of, of domination, where people in these colonized places don't really care about Fallcrest. Like, they don't seem to really be like, wow, it's so cool, this empire that's taken us over. I really love 
the great birth control that they provide me now. But if there was fireworks, you'd be like, I kind of like the fireworks, guys. Right. Okay. They need something to admire about this this conquering power, you know? Mm-hmm. Culturally, at least. It, yes, culturally. Exactly. Other than like... Other than the, like, oppressive eugenics policies that they're putting into place. Mm. Mm-hmm. Bad. Yeah, those those are not good. Not good, guys. I think that this is a good point. I do think that we need to stop giving colonialism advice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. But, but no, I think, you're, I think you're 100% right. All right. Hopefully next episode, I don't have any new fancy ideas for upgrading colonialism. Uh, I'm going to try, even if I do, you know what? I'm going to try not to bring it up. Unless, <laughs> unless I think it's a great point, and then I will be bringing it up. But, you know, I, I think longtime listeners of the show will know, I can't, I can't shy away from a hot take. Or being a dumb nerd. <laughs>